Greetings, little one. Are you a good witch or a bad witch? Bad witch! I'm not a witch, I'm your wife! What makes you think she's a witch? Well, she turned me into a newt! A newt. What's thou like to live deliciously? Got better. Dost thou comprehend? Welcome to Real Magic, the podcast at the crossroads of real witchcraft and Hollywood magic, where paganism and the supernatural meet their reflections in movies and television, and where we talk about what real magical or life lessons we can learn from fictional witches from 100 years of moving pictures. I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog, too. Hi there, witches and weirdos, and welcome to episode five of the Real Magic Podcast. Now, I always call you weirdos, and I say that from love, because for me, one of the defining movies of my witchy life is The Craft, and that line, we are the weirdos, mister, has always been that sort of empowering, pride-like celebration of our weirdness. So when I call you weirdos, I mean it with love. And I mean it because I'm a weirdo too. And so today, we're going to talk about the craft. Not the original one, though, though we will be talking about it a lot, but the new craft legacy. This sequel came out on October 28th, and I've written a few pieces about it for the Mary Sue, which I hope you check out under Jessica Mason over there on the Mary Sue. But today, I'm talking about it with my guest, Cassandra Snow, who is the author of a new book that's just out right now called Queering Your Craft, about being bringing a queer sensibility to your magical practice. They are also the author of Queering the Tarot. I had a wonderful talk with Cassandra about this movie, and they were amazing to talk to and the perfect guest to talk about the way that this new version of the craft is both intersectional and more feminist and the way it sometimes fails in that. And just a note for those of you who haven't seen this movie yet, I've got you covered. We're going to talk for the first, I would say, 25 minutes or so without any spoilers. And then we're going to denote when we're going to go into spoiler territory. So if you haven't seen it yet and kind of want to get our general sense of things and not get spoiled for the big twists and turns, which there are some, don't worry about it. I'll let you know when the spoilers start. And thanks a lot. Here's our conversation with Cassandra Snow about the craft legacy. Light as a feather, stiff as a board. Light as a feather, stiff as a board. So welcome, Cassandra, to episode five, if I'm counting right, of Real Magic, where we talk about where magic and Hollywood meet. And today we're talking about the craft legacy. I'm really excited about this one. Yay! Yeah, I am too. I had a lot of feelings, good and bad, so I'm excited to be here. (laughs) Yeah, before we dig into the movie, um, I kind of always have an icebreaker question for all the guests. Like, what was your movie growing up that first made you believe in magic that was your first, like, cinematic witch that you first connected with? Ooh... I think it probably was the craft as a teenager. However, I also grew up watching Bewitched and watching like, these aren't necessarily witches, but like the Adams family and the monsters and stuff. And I like connected more to that than to anything else. So make it night, man. Combination of the very like of my generation stuff, but then like the older stuff I grew up watching. 
Did you grow up watching Nick at Night? Because that was me as a kid. Yeah. yeah. Like Bewitched, um, I Dream of Genie, Monsters. Yeah. Well, my parents were always very surprised by it. They were like, this is what we watch. Why don't you watch a show that's new? And just, like, there weren't enough witches in the 90s up until like Charmed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I didn't actually get into Charmed or Buffy. I was sort of a latecomer with those. I watched them off and on when I was in high school, but it wasn't until I was in college and my friends were super into it that I was like, oh, I'll give this a go. And then I like loved them both. I also absolutely love the new Charmed, but that's a different podcast for a different yeah, we'll, we'll get to it one day in the podcast. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, the first craft, before we get into this one, like, what was your relationship to the first, the craft? Because for me, it was the defining movie of my teen years. Like, absolutely. <laughs> like, I watched that movie so many times. I rented it over and over again from the video store. I returned it, and then I rented it again, and it was the same one I just returned because it had not been rewound, <laughs> and it was the same space I had left it. Yeah. Um, I also really, really loved it growing up. I actually forgot my formative witch icon, but it's only sort of a witch. But uh, prior to The Craft and Clueless and all of those movies that I really felt like defined my like late junior high and high school experience, mm -hmm. before those, there was Now and Then. And Gabby Hoffman's character with like the Ouija board and wanting to connect to spirits and she was going through stuff that was very similar to what I was going through. I don't know. So that was when I connected. And I spring that up specifically, not only because I think it's a movie that still stands up and everyone should watch it, but also because, um, I don't know, it was like I got very hooked on the idea of like the supernatural or connecting to the metaphysical in a way. So when the craft came, I was like, oh, I got to see what that's about. <laughs> and then, so I did end up really loving it. But I do think now and then was kind of the gateway to that. And then <laughs> the craft is one I watched over and over. I had a lot of performative femininity and like just wanting to be normal when I was in junior high and high school, partly because of a pretty tumultuous upbringing and like not wanting anyone to know how poor I really was. And then also because I was in the closet and it was very bad to be gay in the Bible Belt at that time. And so I say that to say I can't say fairly and accurately that it like defines my high school experience because I was definitely trying not to identify with the weirdos at that point. But I also think it set the tone because like as I got into college and friends would be like, oh, remember that movie? And then I would be like, oh, I wonder what is real and what isn't. And so it is, it was one of many factors that got me into witchcraft for real. Yeah, I think for me, I had gotten into witchcraft a few years before because some girls on my campus, um, like my middle school had like Scott Cunningham books. And I was oh, yeah. like, this is amazing. I want to do this. Yeah. I've always wanted to be a witch. And then the craft came out. I'm like, it's a movie about me. <laughs> And yeah, for me, because I'm a queer woman too, I never really conflated the weirdoness and the magic of the craft explicitly with like my burgeoning queerness. 
but I did have like my first like love affair was with a girl who we tried to start a coven that's the two of us and oh. watch the craft like um a bazillion <laughs> times and so and then it went terribly wrong much like the end of the first craft does <laughs> so there might have been some <laughs> foreshadowing there but yeah and like I that movie definitely was tied in with both my magical and my queer identity yeah. and just like that feeling of being like an outsider and trying to find your power and your place was such yeah. a for so many of us yeah absolutely and I think there were definitely elements of that in my life I just really fought back against them I just kind of watched it as a cool movie like oh I like the aesthetic but I also did watch it like over and over again and looking back I very clearly had a crush on all of them <laughs> and the <laughs> But that's true of a lot of the movies I loved from that time. Like when I look back, I'm like, oh, by the aesthetic, this yeah. is what I meant. Like um, now and then, like I loved that movie too. I loved the, that's one of the first movies that I ever saw Tarot in. Yeah. And then another movie I loved back then, which definitely did make me gay, was this thing called Foxfire with Angelina Jolie. Do you remember this movie? I don't I've heard of it I think but I don't I didn't see it growing up it was this tiny indie movie filmed in Portland Oregon which is where I'm from and it was like it plays with Portland geography in a really hysterical way like they yeah. suddenly get halfway across town in a second but and it's about this sort of girl gang that gets together and um, there's a scene where they're like all taking off their shirts and no one's wearing bras and they're all like tattooing each other's boobs and I'm like oh I like this yeah. sorry mom don't listen to this part of the podcast but I'm like oh yeah I might be a little bit into that yeah and but it then, had that kind of craft coveny feel and it was the same era and the same aesthetic because it wasn't actually a very good movie but it was just the feeling of it I've also been a huge pop music fan and I feel like a lot of my early love of pop music was just love of those girls and like not being able to express it so so, um, and I'm going to do like an aside here. Yeah. I want to talk more generally about the movie for the first like um, 10 or 15 minutes. And like, I'm going to yeah. with, without spoilers. So people who haven't seen the movie can Ooh, okay. listen to it and then we'll switch into spoiler mode and we can okay. talk about all the explicit plot points. But like, just in general, I want people to, who haven't seen it or who are thinking of seeing it to have like a spoiler free section. Yeah. So starting with like our spoiler free section, what did you think of the movie in general? I did have very mixed feelings about it. I, so in general, in terms of my pleasure and my liking something, it's actually, I'm not very hard to please in general. Like I can watch most things and not have a bad time. And it's not until after that my critical brain really kicks in. Yeah. And that is especially true if it's about witches, if it's super like female or non-binary driven, if it's honestly, if it connects back to like the 90s, early 2000s, like, you know, so to an extent, I loved it. <laughs> um, yeah. It checks all of those boxes that I said. Um, and then... There are plot points I really loved. I don't know. I did have some problems. I felt like there was, I don't know. I, uh, 
it's hard to say how I, because in so many ways it was a lot more inclusive, but in so many other ways, I feel like that inclusivity was tokenized a bit. Yeah. And I, go ahead. I was just going to say, and especially when like the trans character who I loved and wanted more of was like having to give basic like intersectional magic 101 notes to her friends. I was like, it's 2020 are we not beyond this like yeah like let's talk about we can talk about that explicitly because for for one like I feel like I really like the movie too I feel like there could have been like a whole hour more of it it was way too yes. short it was just it, the edit really did a disservice to it because it just a lot of the the other members of the coven beside Lily were kind of underdeveloped and I wanted so much yeah. more of them. I want so much more of them being witches together. And we're like, when I saw the movie, I'm like, it's only an hour and 45 minutes. I want a three hour cut of this movie. I want this movie as a TV show. It's like a really good pilot. Yeah. And oh my gosh. I think a craft TV show, but that like really zeroes in on all of the characters would be so good. Yeah, like this is a great pilot and I would love to like really dig <laughs> yeah. into each up each of these characters because they all are on their own really strong but you want so much more of them. Like there's and there's they each have these moments where they kind of nod at things about like intersectionality and race and gender and sexuality but it, then that's it that's all the movie has time for and I I don't fault the filmmakers for trying to shove that in but it could have been done a bit better or it could have just been given those characters they should could have shown more than they just told yeah I agree I agree and I also and like I do think people especially of my generation and the generations you know older than us I do feel like we get rose-colored glasses about stuff from our own youth and there are absolutely if I were to watch the original craft today, I would probably have those same criticisms only worse. Yeah. Yeah. And I certainly like, I do have those criticisms only worse. Like it, it gave the world actors that I really love and have followed. Um, And in some cases they're not even just actors anymore. Uh, But yeah, a lot of those same critiques stand up to the original. And so and at the same time, I feel like if we're going to make it more inclusive, why still make the like white small girl, the like center of it? Like why, you know, we could have had her just be a part of it. Like the new one could have been one of the witches of color, you know, and following them. And it would have changed almost nothing in terms of what they would have had to reconfigure. Yeah, well, well, when we get into the spoiler section, we'll get into, like, why I think they felt they needed her well, to be. Yeah. yeah. But, like, for those who haven't seen the movie or who haven't seen the craft, th- this is a note from my mom who listens to the podcast. She's like, honey, I want you to, you know, recap the plots of these movies because not everyone's seen him. I'm like, okay, mom, you're right. <laughs> but this, very much like the first version of the craft, it is a high school age girl moves to a new town, uh, goes to school and meets a trio of girls who are aspiring witches and kind of gets recruited into this coven and she sort of becomes she's got so much natural power that she like boosts them and or they needed a fourth because only you can only do magic when you have four witches which is not a terribly accurate but whatever it's more the thing about the craft 
both this one and the other one is that they're the most accurate portrayal of like actual witchcraft we have on screen and then they're like and it's still terribly inaccurate there's some other things I like just as much in terms of like quote-unquote accuracy like I actually think practical magic is pretty good yeah we talked Um, about that yeah (laughs) but uh still it's like in league with that in terms of being accurate but not yeah um I often talk about magic on screen. Well, not often. I'm talking about that for the first time on this podcast. I'm also a lawyer and you see accurate portrayals of witchcraft almost as often as you see accurate portrayals of the of being a lawyer and legal practice, which is, you know, never. And so, you know, yeah, it may shock you. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. (laughs) It may shock you, but like, you know, when you go into a lawyer's office, you don't get to court in the afternoon. And people don't yell at the judge in courtrooms and, you know, you don't, people don't confess on the stand. Usually, just like with law, I think magic and witchcraft often get dramatized a lot and changed a lot. And so I give, you know, and I give Hollywood a pass on that because it has to be entertaining. I was about to, what I was going to say was like, I feel like, and you probably understand this as well, but even as a writer, anytime there's publishing, I'm a a huge fan of the bold type, but also anything (laughs) about the actual writing or publishing makes me just frown loudly. Or you just see the apartments, the, like the so-called like, (laughs) you know, internet writers live in. It's just like, oh yeah, that's nice. How much are you getting paid? <laughs> and so, like, you did that on fifty bucks a blog post. Like, there was some like Sex in the City coach. Oh God, there's a Sex in the City gift going around. She's like, oh yeah, Vogue is gonna pay me four dollars a word. I was like, what? <laughs> four dollars a word? I would be a billionaire. Oh my God, <laughs> that's strange. <laughs> Weirdly enough, in my other life in theater, I, (laughs) and it's probably because theater feeds directly into film and television, but uh, not that inaccurate (laughs) when you watch. Yeah. It's a little heightened, but it's not inaccurate. (laughs) I was thinking about like how, and your book is about, your both your books are about queering the tarot and queering your craft and how like initially you would think there would be a lot of overlap between like queerness and magic on screen and magical communities because like there's so many like gay vampires and you know lesbian vampires and gay werewolves but you don't usually actually see much queerness in depictions of magic on screen and I think that there's a lot of reasons for that because yeah yeah well and I still think even with vampires and werewolves and stuff there's not as many as there should be I just watched a werewolf movie and I was like wow that was an unnecessary amount of straight people in a movie (laughs) how I feel about most straight people movies (laughs) same if it's like all straight or all white I just walk away feeling like well that was unnecessary (laughs) Um. yeah like in you know in your book you talk about in your book which is out today Congrats. Yay, yeah. And this will be now in the past for our listeners, but everyone go <laughs> buy it. It's really cool. But we talk yeah. about how there's there's a lot of heteronormativity in early Wicca, like big time. 
And there's a lot of like sexualization of women in their depiction as witches, because one of like the big tropes for witches for hundreds of years is like they want to bang the devil. Yeah. And it's like, maybe if the devil looked like Tom Ellis and Lucifer, I might make an exception (laughs) to the whole gay thing. But like generally, like it's to be a witch is to have control of your sexuality and um, and people only see that usually through a heteronormative lens. Yeah. I also feel like a lot of portrayals of witchcraft are very heteronormative or even just, I won't even say heteronormative, but they're very straight and cisgender. I forgot where I was going with that. Uh, I feel like they are that just because they're not, I don't know. I feel like portrayals on screen, it's almost like with few exceptions, they try to de-sex witchcraft. It's like they're trying to retcon the reputation in that way and there's a conflation in mainstream media that showing queerness is automatically showing something sexy or gratuitous which is a whole other issue and problem yeah there's no asexual representation out there it's a problem and so again with few exceptions but they're all I could name it I actually don't love trashing stuff publicly but like even the ones that don't de-sex witches are like very bad in my opinion and like make it worse. Um, it, it really tries to, it's the depiction of like witches and queerness has the same problem where, like, or sexy witches um, is where it's, there's no like in between. It's like either you're just like, you're gay, but it's very sanitized. It's like Dumbledore to use yeah. you know, an example who it's like okay you're gay off the page it doesn't matter to your story and you never express it in an interesting way but it may be kind of evil if you did you may have banged you know the evil nazi yeah and the, or it's like the exact opposite extreme for either queer people or witches it's like orgies yeah and like honestly either extreme is fine if that's who you are as a person but most of us fall somewhere in between and like I'm a very sex positive person but I also have a career I also have platonic relationships that mean the world like it's not all that all the time yeah I like I'm I'm a sexy person. I think I'm very sex positive too, but also I'm like a very boring person who likes to be in bed at eight o'clock on a Friday <laughs> night with my wife. It's like, okay, time yeah. I'm tired. I have a kid. You know? Yeah. And so well, I feel like that even about my witchcraft, like that's another thing is like on TV, it's like all, or in movies, it's all witchcraft all the time. Yeah. But like sometimes I drink a Pepsi and listen to pop music and go to bed like it's not (laughs) yeah sometimes you know magic is just like you want to do a whole like full moon ritual you just want to be like oh look there's the moon I'll put out some some moon water or something and now I'll go to bed now because I'm tired yeah yeah my element is neither earth or air or fire water my element is tired But let's talk about like the elements in this movie because they're really yeah. even even they go even harder than the original on like the elements and you have to have four witches in your coven and it's sort of like Avatar, I guess. <laughs> yeah. We need someone from the water nation to complete our power. Yeah. Um, but what do you think of that? 
So again, mixed feelings. Like I think, and, but to less extent, like I get really riled up about inclusivity stuff, but not necessarily about stuff like this. Um, but still kind of mixed feelings because the elements are really important in witchcraft. And it was almost like they took this opportunity to kind of teach people a little bit about each of them. Yeah. And also the way that that shows up as what you need for a coven or what you need for spiritual work is not accurate at all. No. And so, um, I think it's good that they kind of went hard on what the elements are and what that might look like if you're more connected to one than the other. But I also think that's not how anything works. (laughs) Yeah. I think they had so much. It was, you could definitely tell they had occult consultants on it. And they had Sam Grossman and Brie Luna who are both great. Amazing. Yeah. And so you could definitely tell they were like trying to be accurate and sensitive as much as they could in a heightened environment and I did appreciate like when they said you know you don't need a uterus to be a witch like that was great and I really did love the trans character I loved all these characters like I said I want more of them and I liked that the trans character was associated with a traditionally quote-unquote feminine element which was earth Mm -hmm. And she was just like the really grounded one. And I liked how their elemental associations really informed who they were as characters. Yeah, I did too. Yeah, it's like you could learn a lot from the elements from this movie. It's just not, you don't need three other witches of different quote unquote elements to do magic. No, well, and I actually for a short time had like an unofficial coven that like we had all four elements and like I thought it was cool but I also have someone who is a cancer and I'm a Pisces that I practice with all the time and it's just as powerful like it's (laughs) yeah and like you kind of get like astrology in here like everyone has all the elements in their chart yeah you know I and I have like it's really my chart's really interesting because I actually like have exactly 25% 25% of each element in my chart I feel oh, very wow. balanced because like I have like air moon and water Venus and everything and earth sun got a lot of you know balance in there but I feel like the different influences at different times and when you're doing different kinds of magic and so like anyone can, can connect to all the elements in all the different ways and the whole point of magic and like the pentagram even is like it's about the balance of all the elements together that make it and it's all within you yeah yeah I don't have so my chart is almost all water or fire um except for my houses like my actual signs and then like the main signs that people identify with are all water or fire um my big three are water my like the ways I interact with other people like Mars Venus like those are all fire um so and yet, but I have really interesting air and earth placements in terms of my houses and where things are. Um, if you're new to astrology and you're listening, or you're just not an astrologer and you're listening, it's not just signs and planets. There's also 12 houses that each of those sit in and your houses are aspected by various signs and planets. So that's what we're kind of talking about. But yeah and those like that's what grounds me that and my queer platonic partner who we've lived together off and on for 17 years and on for about 11 
they're a Virgo with like a Capricorn rising. So like, that's the other reason I'm grounded. <laughs> I'm a Capricorn with a Virgo rising. Oh, funny. Right. Um, so, so that's they're very organized. actually get things done. Yeah. <laughs> so let's like transition into our spoiler yeah. section. So warning for Ow. anyone who's not seen the movie, we're going to talk about specific plot details from here on out. And so if you don't want to get spoiled you can fast forward I guess to the end of the episode um, or go watch it and come back but yeah we're going to talk about specific plot details because there's a lot of ways specifically in the plot especially the last third of the movie that are really interesting and really big deal so spoiler warning there you go was this just like some game to you I feel different careful a lot of weirdos out here we are the weirdos mister so now we're in the spoilers let's talk about the end of this movie um not the very end we'll get to there but i was like oh i'm like <laughs> yeah. i actually love the very end oh so yeah. i'm like yeah i kind of cried <laughs> well i think that like this movie is very clearly in direct dialogue with the original mm-hmm. like, not just in the fact that it's a sequel but it's and I read the press materials, they really wanted to, and I like this, correct some of the mistakes of the first movie, which is like the main one is that like, oh, girls are going to go against each other and girls are going to, you know, one girl's going to get too powerful and they're going to start cat fighting. And you can tell that that first craft was written and directed by men. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, these girls, they just can't handle power. They're going to start stabbing each other and this movie like explicitly says you know the the bad guy who spoiler alert the the villain is toxic masculinity (laughs) (laughs) which is great the the way that this movie like the villain is toxic masculinity and basically he literally explicitly says like oh you girls can't do anything without like trying to take each other down and then the movie's like ha we're gonna reunite and we're gonna all get together and beat your ass and set you on fire asshole which I loved yeah I loved it it was such a great antidote to the original movie where it becomes because like I I think that the original movie the final third is where it kind of loses itself because it kind of becomes about the witches versus witches and it loses Rochelle and Bonnie as characters and (sighs) yeah and yeah the way Rochelle is treated in that movie is definitely not good in terms of race and they at least try and remedy a bit of that here they're still still but yeah so what do you think about like when they come together in that circle and defeat evil David Duchovny because that was pretty pretty cathartic to see that it was really cathartic to see that and then I also um you know I there are just parallels to my own life like obviously I never like did that but (laughs) For me, it was like extra cathartic. Like it wasn't, I think for a lot of people, it's not just, I don't know. I think for a lot of people that storyline is going to ring personal. And Mm -hmm. I do think that that felt intentional. Like we want to give people that have been in these situations, the catharsis that they like maybe could not pull off themselves. Um, And so I thought that was really good. But then I also just, anytime we see groups of, girls or honestly any friends coming back together 
I'm always like, oh, yes. And like, I'm a huge sucker for any like chosen family stories, Mm -hmm. which given that it was a stepdad, like that felt very, I don't know. It felt like that's what that was. Yeah. Which I I also really loved. Yeah. And I loved like the reframe, you know, I know it was corny, but the reframing of like him saying, you know, there are weirdos out there, guys. And when they say, we are the weirdos, mister, like it became like this power line. I was like, yes. Yeah, that was great. And I just loved how it kind of became about your coven is your community and your power and your power comes from, you know, he's literally saying like you women and and witches can't control this. I'm part of a secret. Again, this was another thing I would have liked about 15 more minutes on this. I'm part of a secret society that goes around stealing powers from witches. And it's all about like maybe vaguely Christian because all his, him and all his sons had Bible names. Yeah, that was like, you could have, again, I wanted so much more explanation on that. And I wish they, they had had more movie there. But the the part of it was really empowering. And another thing I just loved about this movie is that the teenagers were teenagers. I did too. I will, I do sometimes find it a little cringy when not teenagers are writing teenage dialogue. Yeah. And I think if that is something that bothers you, unfortunately, I don't think this movie like transcends that. (laughs) Um, That being said, they looked like teenagers. They acted like teenagers. They made a lot of the dialogue work. I think the actors are really lovely in this movie. Yeah. One of my, that they were one of my, you know, I have my critiques about the writing in terms of inclusivity and in terms of like some other missteps I think they made. And also I think the heart of it is not only that core like coven as chosen family coming together. I think it's also like similar to the first one where you're just like introducing the world and some of them have careers already but still like reaffirming just for really powerhouse actors and what female driven films can do yeah I think the actor all the actresses and not not just actresses all the actors were really great I loved um uh Gideon Alden who I'm now I'm blanking on her name but she was the kind of the error one was it frankie but she was I'm so much yeah. I, loved, I loved all of them in different instances and one of the characters and i guess this can kind of transition to where their film might have had some interesting mistakes and progressiveness was um the young man who played timmy that actor was really good and he, he was a great yeah. job going from being like a complete asshole to being like sensitive and woke and that was such an interesting choice in the terms of the story he did really well in his acting I loved the scene where they are casting the spell on him and they're just like winging it and getting grossed out and it's just like that was such a teens stumbling through magic with a bit more power than they should have <laughs> great scene yeah I I have some issues with that whole story yeah let's go into that like what were your issues well, with it <laughs> Because there's there so, are some problems. Well, I mean, the whole non-consent thing is, and if you read my book, you know that I have sort of some gray morality about the place for hexes and things like that, and for like consent or. But I'm also very consent heavy. 
the only thing I would do without someone's consent in terms of like a hex is like sending their own stuff back to them or when it's institutional when it's not like a single person when it's like you know this administration or whatever I I'm like very um I again I came up in the 90s very wicca heavy so it was very much this idea of like you never do negative magic and my ideas about that have shifted because like the ideas of what is baneful and what is beneficial or in flux and changing but I did do a hex on Donald Trump when I voted so that was my first ever official hex (laughs) Um, aside from like sending back negativity which I think is you know the moral implications of that are interesting (laughs) yeah but I say all of that to say again, mixed feelings, because I in no way think that what they did, and I will say the way they did it, I think there are similar ways to achieve what they achieved that I would have been more okay with. Yeah, don't break into somebody's house and steal their bodily fluids. Like, yeah, like, don't commit any felonies and while you're doing magic, I would just say that as a blanket statement for all witches, no felonies or even misdemeanors, not to be honest. I would even argue with that if you're doing political magic, but this is also not what that was. No. And so it was very um, like immature, which like fits with them being teens. And that was my mixed feelings was like, I don't want anyone to think that that is something you should do. And at the same time, if I had discovered magic at 16, yep. who knows what kind of bullshit I would have pulled. Like... Absolutely. But then there was also just sort of an issue of non-consent running through the whole thing that is a little uncomfortable for me. And there are a lot of faiths where non-consent and where bending someone's will is not necessarily a bad thing. I do not think that is what this movie did. I do not think it was playing with those traditions. I do not think it was calling on those traditions. I think it was positing that the kind of witchcraft, if you just Google, you'll come up with, you can do those things which is not the case (laughs) and like not what you should do. Yeah. I'd had, um, I'm going to plug an article I did um, with the different podcasters. I did an interview with uh, the gals from that witch life podcast on the Mary Sue. And they talked about how the accuracy of this magic and where to go from after you watch the craft and decide you want to be a witch. And most of it was like, okay, you got the, the spirit of things. Now here's some actual accurate information. You don't need to find three other witches of your element. You Well, and I think what was uncomfortable for me about the spell they did and how they did it is that, like, that would probably work. You probably still shouldn't do it. Yeah. (laughs) Like, and so there was, like, that discomfort for me as well of, like, that's not wrong witchcraft. (laughs) Yeah. And it was interesting (laughs) because you do see them deal with throughout, like, the the film, the consequences of this. And it does end up going terribly wrong for this poor guy yeah and it's an interesting because you see him kind of become more you know inclusive and nice to them and then he becomes their friend and there's just this whole thing over them of just like oh you know is this ethical and it was really I really appreciated where they went with that character because like it was sort of mirroring the first movie where she casts Sarah casts that spell on Skeetle Rich right and it goes and again that goes terribly wrong for everyone too yeah 
but where he became like a better person it was like sharing his trauma and you find out that he is bi or pan and there's interesting things but then they bury their gaze which I'm not a fan of (laughs) no I was pretty upset about that and I had issues with the way even when he was supposedly better that the way Timmy was portrayed because it I mean we all know that problematic cis dude and like who is like saying all the right things but it's not ringing true and mm-hmm. it was unclear to me if that was the point or not. And so, and I did, and I think as a filmmaker, it is your job to show me if that's the point or not. But then with the whole barrier gaze trope, and this is super spoilery, but we did warn people. Yeah, the spoiler. Like, yeah. Yeah, I was pretty upset and I was pretty like, this could have gone a hundred different ways, including some that would still be okay for Timmy, would still be okay for the girls, but like, you know, I would have liked to have seen them just confess and undo it. And then, but he's already learned all the stuff he's learned. Yeah. And there so was, a ton doesn't change. There was like, there were a lot of of other ways to do that, that were, will probably be require a lot more heavy lifting from the script. So many movies and so many shows that fall into the barrier gaze trope suffer from like this lack of creativity where they're like, well, death is the only thing that can happen all right that's the most dramatic thing it's like no work harder you can do things with characters other than killing them well and it's really really harmful because it makes young and I remember this from being a young queer person in the closet but it really does I think people don't realize what bad portrayals actually do the harm they actually cause but it makes young queer kids feel disposable if they don't have better representation, if they don't have better input from community. Watching stuff like that over and over again just makes it feel disposable or makes it feel inevitable in a way that no one deserves, but let alone people who are already marginalized. Yeah. And, you know, there's been so much dialogue about the buried gays and especially and um producers and writers have been told over and over again how harmful this trope is and i keep seeing it you know this is not the only magical media i've watched this year that has buried their gays or made their gays suffer for being because of their queerness and it's like I'm, i'm over it dudes and i think that the character of lourdes like she was meant to balance this out or the trans character but again, it's hard to do that without like the tokenization. And I would have wanted more of that character, more of her story to balance out this ickiness. More of her story, less microaggressions from her own friends, less like, uh, like there's so much more I wanted for Lourdes. I won't even say out of Lourdes because again, I think the actor was fantastic, but like just more I wanted for her. Yeah. Same with Tabby, who has that great, like, minute where she's like, I wish I had more Black friends. My brother is afraid of, you know, I'm afraid of my brother's life every day. And that's like, okay, we done, we nodded to, like, the fact that, again, Rochelle was the only Black person in the original movie, and we only have one Black character now. And, okay, we nodded at it. Okay, well, then do more. Give this character more. Let us see her family. Let us know her. Yeah. Make, make this a TV series, not a movie. Or like, and I still maintain, like, even with the spoiler, we're probably going to get to in a couple minutes. There's no reason that main character couldn't have been 
queer or a person of color or disabled like something you know yeah and that wouldn't just feel like all we were doing was burying our gaze and making nods at other stuff yeah so Lily you know we have that kind of pretty uncomfortable scene where she does this sort of love spell and then and she does you know face almost immediate consequences and admonition from her coven about doing that kind of spell and that's where like the binding things come in but yeah we could have definitely made her not just a pretty white girl you know pretty a seemingly straight white girl so let's talk about the very end and this big spoiler where we find out what happened to nancy and lily's her daughter and like i almost burst into tears seeing feruza bulk on my screen yeah yeah well and i (laughs) i sometimes call movies early on but i legitimately took this movie at face value I legitimately was like and a lot of that I think was intentional from them they wanted us to think it was just like this simple non-twisty movie and like the twists are just witchcraft going awry you know and then they just pull a 180 in the end and for me it wasn't even just seeing Nancy or what happened to her but just as someone who likes a twist I don't predict when it was just revealed that Nancy was her mom I was like oh my god I, like, I was so happy and so excited see I have the opposite experience because they I did you watch the trailer for this when it came out barely okay, I did but it was like a really long time ago the the trailer like we got word about this movie like a year ago saying they're making a remake of the craft they didn't categorize it as a sequel that's so the, weird to me. And then the trailer comes out like, no, it's a sequel. And there you see a picture of Nancy in the trailer, which, and it's this Polaroid okay. that you never yeah. even, it's a thing you never even see in the movie. There's a lot of stuff in the trailer that's not in the movie. And this trailer like cool. basically spoiled that Nancy had something to do with this. And when you find out like she was adopted and her mom was powerful, I'm like, oh, well, that's how Nancy's going to figure in. But I still loved that moment. I didn't love... And this might be my interpretation. Didn't love that it seemed like David Duchovny was her actual dad and maybe had like sexually assaulted Nancy. But that was just one subtext I got. Maybe that wasn't intended. I also had mixed feelings. Again, I just had so many mixed feelings throughout the entire movie. But um, I agree with you. And I think where I have mixed feelings is like, I actually would have been fine either way if it was explicit and that was part of why he was so evil. Yeah, then and that yeah, he was, definitely deserved to be set on fire. <laughs> right. Like if that was it, then sure. Or if it was not that and there we had just explained Nancy was like, oh, I met this guy in treatment and it didn't last, but here you are. And, well, you know, like even if yeah. they had just totally gone a different way to explain her dad so yeah I would have been fine either way but the ambiguousness of it left me with kind of an icky feeling especially because I already had some icky feelings about non-consent that weren't necessarily overtly sexual but still like throughout the whole movie getting to that at the end was very like wait what am I watching yeah but it was a great way to end the movie and kind of sort of complete the circle of the way they were the way they were um, 
dialoguing with the original movie where it became about them unifying as a circle rather than breaking apart and attacking each other. It became about them facing an external threat rather than an internal one from one of the witches. And it really kind of brought Nancy into it because the way Nancy's treated in the first movie is so complicated because she's punished a lot for like wanting power and wanting to get out of her really shitty situation she's got an abusive uh, stepfather she's you know in poverty and she wants to get out of that which is something people can sympathize with well and and that was really my situation when I watched the craft and I again I was like denying so much of I was like no I'm just a fine regular girl turns out I'm none of that but um it definitely struck me. And I think it is part of why I went back to it. Do you follow Matt Oren on Twitter? Have you read his hot his, takes on the craft? His, yeah, well, he, yeah, his hot take is that Nancy is not the villain. It's Sarah's the villain. And I really well, like that viewpoint. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. getting into that. Well, yeah, because Sarah is the one that like doesn't like that her more marginalized friends have more power than her and decides to take it away. Mm -hmm. And like, that is what, there's so much they could have done with Nancy and Rochelle and Bonnie. They could have, um, I mean, just like coming to, like this movie did, just bringing them together again as a circle to kind of reconnect and kind of get to the heart of what they're doing again. I related a lot to Nancy. Nancy, a lot of, a lot of queer people consider Nancy to be queer coded. I don't think I did growing up, but I certainly yeah. see it now that it's I could been see that. out to me. Uh, the aesthetic especially, but you know, just her. Just oh, sort she of had the best just, look. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then like one thing we didn't talk about earlier, but like the ableism of the Bonnie storyline, but even for that, like seeing Bonnie get attention she's always wanted and then Sarah just like gets jealous. I don't know. Like Sarah's- it's like a very off-putting like and reading that I was like oh no this is actually what I believe now (laughs) like reading that thread from Matt Oren yes Sarah's really like the problem character in the original craft because she's like okay she's judging people for taking she's first off she encourages people to you know take revenge or change or and she you know she does a very manipulative love spell And then it has consequences for her, which she does not, you know, the whole thing in the first movie, it's like, okay, she's taking away this guy's consent and then he does it right back to her. And that's, it's terrible and becomes victim blamey and it's awful. And, but then again, like the, the creepy rape, rapist bully don't really mind him getting thrown out a window. Like how is that, you know, I mean, maybe you could have done that and settled that a better way, I guess, but the fact that that's like that's the act that pushes her over the edge with Nancy. She's sad that the guy who tried to rape her got thrown out a window by yeah. her friend who was trying to defend her and who'd also been abused by this guy. It's like, come on. <laughs> and so, and this idea that power inherently like corrupts people who can't handle it and that only like the um, white upper class girl can handle it and the, and we never really get into like why sarah was depressed or why she attempted suicide it's just sort of thrown in there for color and like i don't want to you know dismiss her struggles either but that's not dealt with enough in the original movie it's not and it's really thrown in there yeah 
again, a lot of our critiques about the new one do still hold up to the old one. Like, oh yeah, a lot of throw things like, oh, maybe we should talk about mental health. Well, here's a thing. Like, yeah, she attempted suicide. We're not going to say why like, or how some- she how she's doing now, how she's recovering. Like, <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> the fact that like it's so watching witches on screen for so many of us it's always about identifying with the villains because usually the best witches are the villains i talked about this in the podcast episode we did on hocus pocus where the best characters in hocus pocus are very obviously the witches yeah yeah they do end up defeated at the end and that's usually the case for most witches and then practical magic is so beloved to so many of us because we get to be the heroes and we get to survive the movie well and we get to realize that our magic isn't bad and really come into it yeah magic is just magic and so I like start crying every time I think about how good practical magic like is for witches (laughs) like I get like I still don't have the newest prequel but I'm really excited about it oh just so this is an aside. I don't know if you were following me when like I made everyone really mad when I explained that Aunt Jet and Aunt Francis aren't actually sisters, they're wives. That is my like galaxy brain theory about practical magic. It's based on the movie, not the books. Yeah. <laughs> but like everyone's like, no, no, you can't go against the books. I'm like, dude, I, I'm in fandom. Come on. Like <laughs> next you're going to tell me Dean Winchester is straight. Like, no. <laughs> yeah I do follow book canon and I like the parallels of like the sisters and the sisters but I also like I get it (laughs) like I get where you're coming from but yeah like the thing is like that sort of feeds into queer representation and magical representation we often have to work against the canon against the text to find yeah representation so we have to work against texts that have no queer people we need to queer the text or we need to work against texts that vilify and punish powerful women and witches and so we have to you know rewind the beginning and ignore the final third of the movie to find and and empower this character the characters we really identify with yeah to see nancy kind of back to see her out of those yeah. chains was really powerful. It was. And I think you had said earlier that the filmmakers really wanted to correct a lot of the wrongs of the first one. And I think that that was a way of doing that. Yeah. And though it made it, me like, where is movie number three now? I need it immediately. Yeah. <laughs> well, I really would love a TV show, like you said. I think that would be, and Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I would love a series with these characters to really dig into them and to give these wonderful young actresses more time to do this and give them more of a budget because, oh my God, let's we can sort of take an aside here to talk about like the effects in this movie. Yeah. What do you think of the effects? <laughs> I mean, they were- Or lack thereof. Me. Yeah, they were hit or miss. I actually, so a lot of people's early complaints when they just saw the trailer mm-hmm. were because of the bath scene. They thought the whole movie was going to be really shiny and glittery. I am in the minority that actually wanted that from the movie. 
And so I was a little disappointed when it was really just that one scene that had all of the like really pretty showery, glittery stuff. Yeah. And they took out most of that from the, like the stuff in the trailer wasn't in the movie again, which is weird. Yeah. And so I wanted, I was like, oh, cool. It's going to be sparkly. And then it really wasn't. So I was like, hmm. (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was. They need to either go full sparkle or no sparkles because otherwise it was just sort of like occasional sparkles. It was like token sparkleism. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Again, we needed more movie. And yeah, it did like feel, you know, and I say this with love for CW dramas that it did definitely feel like, you know, a season finale of a CW drama at the end with the effects budget. <laughs> Actually, almost a bit less. Well, yeah, I went into it. I love, I do love YA and I watch a lot of CW dramas. And so I went into and like Freeform. And so I went into it like, I don't even know why I made this parallel other than the aesthetic, but I was like, I love Riverdale. So I'll probably love this movie. <laughs> oh, to- totally. I could see that. But then I was like, they're not really anything alike, but I... I do think if you like one, you'll like the other. Maybe I don't know. But yeah, weirdly, way more murder in Riverdale. <laughs> I started watching Riverdale because I was like, I want to know what the heck Riverdale is, and it's four years in, and I still don't know. But I exactly, <laughs> no one knows what Riverdale is. I have friends that write on Riverdale, and they don't know what Riverdale is, <laughs> and that's one of the best parts about it. I know, so good. But yeah, I love I love um, Riverdale and also Sabrina because they commit so hard to that aesthetic. They do. Like, they have a beautiful like Riverdale's one of the most beautifully shot shows on TV. It is, and that proves you can do a lot with like not a lot a big budget when you have yeah. a really good vision. And I wish they'd gotten a bit more of an aesthetic on this movie. But it was also like it's very much an indie film sort of feel. And Zoe Lister Jones female director female writer I did love a lot of what she was doing I just wish she'd had more room to do more agreed well and I think you know some of my favorite witches consulted on this and I really wish that there was even more room for the whatever it is they talked about in those consulting meetings because they're people that really really know their stuff yeah And I think that they were kind of hamstrung a bit by being a sequel to the original because they kind of had to be in line with the magic and the um, spirituality of that original one where they they only mention it once, but they do call back to their fake god they made up for (sighs) Menon, which I never understood even like how I thought it was Menel, like they could they couldn't even (laughs) pronounce it correctly in the first movie it was so so confusing other than bonnie and rochelle not getting the screen time that i wanted them to have in the first one my other big complaint is that a it's a very masculine male deity that they like call to and it's very monotheistic which like is super baffling to me and then but also just that it's like, like, I would almost understand if they were calling on like a really powerful God that witches I know actually connect with a lot. But I think that that would have, I think what happened was that would have made it a such a specific type of magic. Yeah. Which I think they were trying to avoid, but still like, the weird made up hyper masculine God is 
not like, my jam. <laughs> I think if so, it, I'm an opera person. And so like when I hear the word Manon, I think like Manon Lescaut, which is like a kind of like second tier Puccini opera. Um, okay. So it's, it's really, and Manon herself is the main character and she's super annoying. Um, <laughs> and a lot of Puccini protagonists actually really annoy me. That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> um, my problems with Puccini. It's interesting because Manon kind of sounds like Manon MacLear, who's like a sea god and like a very kind of sexual Welsh Celtic god. And yeah. When, it's interesting because, you know, you hear these stories about the original version of the craft where they were, you know, calling on Manon and they did this at the ocean and like they suddenly the tide came in and destroyed all their equipment and turned off all their lights. And so it's like, well, yeah. you, were, you were calling on somebody that sounds like a sea god and using actual dialogue there so well <laughs> but yeah they did have a man on shout out here which was interesting yeah I, I, I was glad it was minimal I understand yeah. that they were confined by the first movie but and in some ways I think the movie did a really good job of like okay the first movie exists but here are some new stories about it they mentioned like, the goddess when they're doing their little spell. They don't really name check any actual gods, I don't think, other than men. I mean, half, I work with several different goddesses and half the time, but I also see a lot of it as different faces of the same goddess. So like half the time I don't have a name on it either. Or if I'm like praying to goddess, I'm praying to like sort of the joining of all of the goddesses that I work with. So like I just chalked it up to that. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I, that kind of like, is it syncretism? Is that what it's called? Where we can, we kind of recognize that it's all facets of the same prism. Yeah. Because it's something so big that none of our little yeah. tiny human minds can even really comprehend Yeah, all the different layers of what divinity and spirit is. And I do like that it's still sort of in here, though some people who have a more secular, not secular, secular... <laughs> version of witchcraft you can also find that here where it's more elemental based and less deity focused and so there's sort of something for everyone here and they're trying to like give something for everyone here but that does end up diluting what's on screen it does and it's again one of those things where I wish they had invented more or invented nothing like yeah. either pulled from various traditions to and which is fine I pull from various traditions my witchcraft is very eclectic so I wish they'd either just done that or just like not made up everything but like <laughs> made more of it bigger and more fantastical yeah again it would have been great for this to be a whole series I would have yeah. loved like five more hours of them like really getting into like theology so what we're really concluding here is like we need to write a craft tv series or a witch tv series where it is given more time and in my version of it like the lily sarah character wouldn't waste her time on some stinky bully boy she would fall in love with one of the other girls in the circle because come on man where is I was also story i was also gonna say if um if they do like another sequel or a TV show or anything, I would actually love to see that Nancy is now like happily gay married to either Bonnie or Rochelle and Lily goes to stay with them. That'd be beautiful. Um, that would, that's like my, and I don't, 
I love Bonnie and Rochelle equally, so I don't really have a preference as to who it is, but I love that Rachel True is just really very much like into tarot now. And she's just says she shout out, she's got a tarot deck and book out right now. Yes. Oh, and she just I haven't met her or talked to her, but she just seems like such a lovely person. And the work she's doing with it is with the tarot and specifically is like just such a beautiful expansion on tarot ideas that have existed for so long. She really kind of dives into the Jungian themes, but or Jungian, but also the, um, I mean, just like that idea, you do, you follow your own heart, like in the way mm-hmm. that she expands on that in the tarot is really fantastic. Yeah, because tarot, you know, is really a tool for self-exploration just as much as it is for div- divination, even more so, I think, for self-knowledge and self-exploration I think yeah I think tarot is good for pretty much anything someone thinks it can be good for I do think the self-exploration is more useful in occultism depending on who you're reading but there's sort of the idea that who magic should change is you not necessarily external circumstances and so I think that tarot as a function of that is like its best use yeah, and this sort of ties us back to this movie and sort of my core takeaway from my own like Wicca and cult and spiritual studies is always comes back for me to like the charge of the goddess and this idea that what you've been waiting for is there right inside you. Yeah. And she doesn't need to, I like that Lily doesn't need to like invoke the spirit to find her magic. She just needs to like, let herself be powerful and connect with these other witches and it's right there all along well and when I I do sort of like one-on-one consultations if people ask me for them about sort of witchcraft and finding your own path in your own way and one of the first things I tell everyone is if you're not willing to do internal work if you're not willing to do emotional healing work I'm not the teacher for you I'm not the teacher for you Because I do think witchcraft can come from external purposes. I think using tools for the purposes they're made for, there's a reason that that line of magic has persisted all of humanity. There's a reason God and goddess worship has persisted all of humanity. But at the same time, so much of the magic comes from within you and how you connect to those things. But you sometimes have to work on you. And I think that that was very true in Lily's case. And I think that's why I don't like Sarah in the original. Yeah. Is like she's not willing to do the work on herself. Yeah. And like in our in our fanfic version of this future, Sarah's a Karen. Don't you think? She's like, <laughs> Absolutely. you know, Bonnie Bo- drives by her house and she's calling 911 probably. Yeah. <laughs> um, Robin Tooney, I'm sure is a lovely person and I'm not blaming her at all. But no. Yeah. Um, Um, and I will say as much as I wanted this movie to be about a queer person or a person of color like as the protagonist I like Lily substantially more than Sarah yeah (laughs) like and she's a bit more like the movie understands more that Lily is flawed and makes mistakes yeah and Sarah's just sort of the hero the whole time and so the point of view of the movie is like Lily has to get over her own mistakes yeah. and her own fears. And I think that's a bit more productive. She's doing the work. Yeah. 
Yep. But I think if you're going to do magic, it so much of it does come from within. Even if you're calling on external forces, there has to be something within you that that is willing to connect with. And you have to have worked on your own spiritual self enough to see it. Exactly. Um, and so, yeah, I forgot where we were going with yeah, that. Yeah. Like- <laughs> Later in this uh, series, I'm going to do a whole podcast about how that's really perfectly expressed in cinema through Frozen 2. Yes. Um, Frozen 2 is so, I watched Frozen 2 and I love Frozen, but I, you know, had my critiques like everyone did, but I watched Frozen 2 and I was like, that is unexpectedly one of the best movies I've ever seen. Right. Like I (laughs) sobbed through Frozen 2. And, you know, I guess I'm, I'm spoiling a little I really am going to do a later podcast about this, but Frozen 2 and show yourself where she is finding, you know, like when the way that Disney has gone from someday my prince will come to you are the one you've been waiting for is just one of the most powerful yeah. things. And the fact that Elsa taps into this big, huge universal power by finding it in herself that's exactly what we're talking about where yeah exactly so final thoughts on the craft legacy any final thoughts um i guess my tldr version is um if you eat up anything about witches love ya and want something that is a little more nuanced than the original craft, you will like this movie a lot. Uh, I still have concerns about things like barrier gauge trope, and then is this inclusivity or is this further tokenization? Yeah, I, all of that. <laughs> and for those looking to find you online or find your work, your book queering your craft just yes. came out today november yes. 1st yeah um i'm really excited too. i'm gonna have some stuff on mary sue about it Yay. soon thank you <laughs> um and i really enjoy really enjoyed what i've read of it so far thank you and where are you on like social media for people who want to find you or even hire I'm you mo- Yeah, so I'm most active in terms of sharing about my practice and tarot stuff on Instagram, which is Tarot Cassandra. Um, I do a free daily tarot. I share a lot of spreads, some that I write, some that are sort of gleaned from the masters, and I always source my work in that case. And then I share like witch tips and budget witch and tarot tips and stuff like that. Um, I do have a Twitter where I sometimes do things like that and sometimes just vent. Um, And that is tarot underscore Cassandra, I think is what it is now. Someone who doesn't use their account is tarot Cassandra on Twitter. Um, so I'm tarot underscore Cassandra. And then I have a website, Cassandra-snow.com. Uh, and if you want to support all the free stuff I put on Instagram, as well as me putting more manuscripts together to publish, I have a Patreon, which is just patreon.com slash Cassandra Snow. Awesome. Well, it's been awesome to have you. It's like Thank you're just you a so perfect for having me. This was fun. Yeah. Thank you so much.
Well, we've come to the end of another episode and hopefully the end of another week. Has this been a week? It's been a week, hasn't it? But we will be back in two weeks. We're going to a bi-weekly schedule now that, that the spooky season is over and also because the world is a bit exhausting right now. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode on Eve's Bayou with Lilith Dorsey. I'm so excited to have her on as a guest and talk about this movie and the way that voodoo and African traditional religions are depicted in movies, which not a great history there. If you want to follow me, you can find me on Twitter. It's at fangirlingjess. Look for me, Jess Mason, on the Mary Sue. You can also follow the podcast at Real Magic Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and uh, Twitter, of course. And we do have a website out. It's now therealmagicpodcast.com. I'm still working on it, but it does exist. If you enjoy the show, please like it, um, review, rate, and please subscribe and tell all your friends to listen. Um, until I hear, see you, hear you, talk to you next, have a great, safe, continuing election as it never ends. And keep casting those spells, watching those movies, and having a good time. Blessed be. Goodbye, cruel world. Goodbye, cruel world. Goodbye to life. Goodbye, 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 goodbye to the world.